Hello all, welcome to the Lunar Sea Spire Steven Universe Fan Podcast. This is episode 237, and today we'll be talking about Fusion Frenzy number one. I'm GC13. And I'm David. So, five fusions, five comics. This is exactly what we asked for. Yes. Well, kind of. They did it in an evil genie way, though. Yeah, we, we wanted more fusion stories. We've talked about that before. Especially in the context of that, we wish more of the comic stuff showed up in the in the show. But here we had every main fusion we care about have their own story. But it's just about their status as a fusion and basically nothing more. I mean, we kind of get to see Sukalite throw a monster around for, like, some of a panel? Yeah, the stories are relatively shallow. Yeah, I mean, but I guess do you want to take them in order? Sure. So our first story is When the Light Breaks, Stevani's story. This is probably my favorite of the issue, just because it just tells a really coherent and single story, and it has an amazing monster design. The scorpion's super cool, because it has that proto-gem destabilizer on its tail, and also just because it's dark color scheme and very much on the monstery side of things there's no real suggestion that it looks anywhere close to like the other corruptions where they you know i don't know what this thing would look like <laughs> healed but yeah i mean this the the scorpion is actually confusing for me and i i blame garnet for this because you know pearl looks at it and says it's obviously horribly corrupted and, you know garnet you know she she's making her scowly face so i think she's just being glib but she still says looks the same to me. But Pearl is saying it's corrupted like it's a normal gem that's been turned into a monster, and yet it has a built-in gem destabilizer, and when we see Connie cut the tail off, that kind of looks like robot in there, not like I'm disrupting a gem's physical form. Which, you know, maybe they are some combination of gem and robot, because I, the comic has sort of been giving us a view of some of this other technology. We had the almost virus-looking monsters some time back. So maybe this is a corrupted monster fused, but it wouldn't really make sense if this was like a wartime thing, which is how I first thought of it, because it has a gem destabilizer on it. If it was a wartime thing, then there wouldn't be any corrupted gems yet, because that happened at the end of the war. So, uh... Pearl literally says that they're in charge of catching and punishing unlawful fusion. So think of them kind of like the shattering robonoids that patrol Homeworld. Right, so if those were already on Homeworld, then there wouldn't be anything corrupted about it. Now, maybe there's some other third option where the literally the scorpion thing itself is corrupted beyond what it even was when it was used during the war, which... You know, that would be something new. Like, maybe it's corrupted because it's not just breaking apart fusions, although it does specifically Mm. target Garnet, so that doesn't really make any sense. Yep. It poofs her. And it looks like it's a, I I guess, a rudimentary gem destabilizer only defuses her. It doesn't, you know, completely poof her like Jasper's did. Yeah, and I guess it doesn't ever actually poof uh, Stevani either, because there was sort of a question that I had in my mind of, like, would that affects Steven and Connie, but it seems that they actually trick the scorpion because it grabs them, but then they split apart and Connie's able to slice it. Yep, and much like Rainbow 1.0 was able to make it so Pearl got out with a microphone, Stevani was able to make sure that Connie got out with the sword. Yeah, who knows how they coordinate that, but, <laughs> you know, they've had a lot of sword training together, so. 
And they were going through some brutal fusion training uh, not long before this, so fusion combat. I uh, just, you know, considering our thoughts on Emerald's lack of appearance in the, or in the most recent ongoing Steven Universe issue, I should point out that we do get a quick, quick look at Emerald in one panel. Totally, yeah, this is just a totally great creative choice that I missed the first time. This is a perfect kind of joke for comic artists to include because I was so focused on everyone just being upside down and just trying to read the, like, speech bubbles upside down that I didn't even notice Emerald behind Steven's head screaming <laughs> <Which I'm, laughs> when is she not screaming i'm glad that's her one note because it's just super funny in this we need an invader zim revival with emerald guest starring in an episode oh my goodness i can't even imagine the chemistry between those two who has the bigger ego <laughs> <laughs> who who can scream the most through the episode <laughs> uh, i still think zim would probably win out for screaming but <laughs> It would be definitely a competition. I mean, he does have a lot of episodes of experience over her. (laughs) Yeah. Although, I wouldn't say he's that much deeper of a character. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I like like just how uncomfortable Andy looks in the the passenger seat there. (laughs) He's probably just upset that there's a pizza and a donut right next to each other, and they're the same size. That ain't right. (laughs) <laughs> it's uncomfortable, but it is. This is a this parade itself is a good opportunity for the whole town to get together and celebrate their differences, even in the great food wars. But also, <laughs> it's kind of cool that they're all out here in the first place because it gives us the opportunity for the town to sort of face a monster again, which I don't think they've really done since the pufferfish way back in beach party. Nope. Although, man, look at look at Mr. Smiley. He's ready to go. Oh yeah, he's got he's he's armed. His guns are ready. Uh uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't know he had that kind of fighting spirit, but I guess I should have remembered his uh, illustrious wrestling career besides his <laughs> music career. Yeah, I mean he he was he he was probably a contender back before he went to commentary. It, it does kind of sadden me. I mean, I I know he did the donut song, so of of course he has to be on the on the float with the donut. But like, couldn't they like clone him so he could be way there in the back? On the Beach City Underground float? Like, he's got divided loyalties. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's just what happens when you move past one career and sort of leave it behind. It does seem like he's sadly nostalgic for his music, so I'm sure that might apply. He's just the announcer now, you know? Although that does keep him tied a lot closer, but... The only other weird thing about this comic is that the Sky Arena is sort of there at the end, or something, when they're doing the rainbow, but then they're back on the parade float. Yeah, that's that's what I assumed it was, that it was the Sky Arena, but it's kind of, like, just out of nowhere. So, like, what's what's the timetable on this? Did they, like, go to the Sky Arena after the parade, and they, they had their little proud refusion, and, you know, let's let's hold the Keep Beach City Weird banner high, or did they, like, have, did they take five while everyone got the parade? They're like, okay, guys, we're gonna do the parade a second time, this time no monsters, okay? <laughs> it's... I, you know, probably, I guess the way I'm justifying in my head is like, that is the final shot. And then they're just thinking back to the parade and it works. Yeah, because there, there is a lot of flashing back in this in this story. Yeah, it works. Also, now that I'm looking at that panel again. So we didn't mention it, but like the outfits are obviously amazing. Stevani's oh. looks like she's in or looks like they're in their final form here uh, with that cape. But I just noticed that. So all the crystal gems are like sort of wearing outfits, but Garnet is still the same, which I think is perfect for sort of illustrating yeah. like everyone has an ally for Garnet and then Garnet just gets to be herself for this braid. 
So that's cool. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the Rainbow Warrior Stevani outfit. Yeah, that's got to come back in the show. Like, final form is right. Well, just like the, the like, white top with the star, and then the, like, skirt over the jean shorts, and then the, like, epic boots, and then obviously the cape. I don't know. It's a whole thing. Yeah, like, the if, if one thing from the from this whole comic is going to be taken up into the show, that outfit needs to be it. Like, that, that whole panel, the pose, the outfit, just the Stevani's facial expression, it's perfect. Would not change a thing. There's just I'm just looking at the last page of the story, and it, the the monster definitely has a gem. Like Pearl even called out that it's in the tail, but I mean, a gem powered robot, maybe probably not. It's probably just a gem that I mean, like Peridot had the limit answers. Right, that probably makes the most sense. Except for it's weird that it's a gem that has a technical thing attached to it. You know, you'd think that the that the diamonds would just make like normal gem sentries to do their work doesn't really mm. I, this fits somewhere i guess on the other end of tools powered by gems where the gem is trapped and maybe it has some kind of maybe that's what garnet means when it has a corrupted form like maybe when it was attached in that thing it didn't look like a giant scorpion but maybe. now it is because that gem has manifested itself more or it got corrupted by the corruption wave but that's a lot of detail that that <laughs> that the comic writer had to think of yeah so <laughs> i don't know what we were meant to think yeah Yep. It will forever be a mystery, I fear. So I guess we're moving on to the gauntlet. So there's a little bit of origin story here that makes the comic sort of significant uh, because we learn the origin of, well, obviously the namesake, how Garnet chose to use her gauntlet, but also sort of an explanation of how Garnet wasn't instantly a fighter and had to learn over yeah. at least the course of a hundred years. Uh, there's definitely a cool art style that gets introduced that's really yeah. reminiscent of the book, the, the answer. Yeah, I like the flashback art style. It's a, it's a good indication and very pretty. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, the, uh, the really soft shading that's used everywhere, like, just gives it a really cool look. And I don't see any li- any black lines, do you? Oh, yeah, and there's just no outlines to anything. So it's a really cool look. I mean, I, I like this. This is like the super early days of the rebellion. You have, this gives us, I'm assuming this will count as canon, that it was first Rose and Pearl, and then they picked up Bismuth, and then they picked up Garnet, and that was it for a little while. I did think it was interesting that Garnet's outfit completely changed, though, when she yeah. does form her gauntlet. I don't know if I love that. Well, they they can consciously change their outfits. We've seen them do it before, and... I mean, she really quickly got an opportunity to make that a permanent change. She still does have some of that cotton candiness in her, though, where, like, her hair is still split by color. And the outfit in general just seems like a really basic split in color palette. But I did just, the uh, garnets, I got poofed pretty fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the non-epic part doesn't happen on screen. <laughs> just happens with... Steven. I mean, you, you could just easily imagine her running at one of those amethysts and then just getting dropped by a whip almost immediately. Yeah, she got her butt kicked pretty hard. I mean, maybe we could be nice and say one of the amethysts grabbed her with a whip and then tossed her and then another amethyst finished her off so she can say that she was 2v1. <laughs> like, that's not fair, ganging up on her like that. It's definitely a different garnet. But yeah, the, the this story... Definitely felt shorter than even the first one, because it's just kind of that one flashback. And then there's also the only other little piece is that there's a running joke of 
Pearl hating that Amethyst says the word but. You said but. Yeah, I I found it humorous enough. I mean, it definitely tie, feels real for Pearl and real for Amethyst, so. Yep. I like how Connie is super optimistic that she'll be living in a nursing home in a hundred years. <laughs> well, maybe some of that healing spit will come in to help her live yeah. to 111, 12 and a half. And three quarters. <laughs> Yeah. So did you have anything more to say about the secret origin of Garnet's actual outfit? <laughs> um, no, except that, you know, it's always interesting to me what comic artists get to sort of declare as second tier canon. And I guess this is part of it. Hey, I like this one. I think I think this really works with the canon. It's not fighting against anything. It's just cool. Yeah, it does still make me think about how all that weapon stuff works. Because she sort of, I mean, does she, like, decide? Does it just happen when she tries to summon her weapon and a gauntlet appears? Who knows? Well, I mean, it, it would it would make sense that Ruby would be quite attuned with summoning her weapon. And so, yeah, they've, everything they've said about the gem is that it chooses the weapon. Like, Garnet didn't choose it. It's just what she has, if that makes sense. It's interesting when that's the case for fusions, though. Like, how that somehow works out but it's always mm. some kind of amalgamation well and then we've seen alexandrite able to summon the constituent weapons but garnet definitely has different gloves than what ruby has i mean we've seen opal even when the bow yeah. was initially made in the first episode opal she, yeah, she out. just doesn't use them she she immediately transforms them but like alexandrite she starts off with the the lower weapons the first tier weapons I like how into it both Ruby and Sapphire are in their little internal representations. <laughs> like, they yeah. both look like they're having the time of their lives. I mean, Sapphire's getting to discover fighting for the first time, and Ruby is just happy <laughs> to get to do it again. It fits. Yeah, I get to share this with my best friend! Yeah, best friend. I guess, I guess that brings us to the art of friendship, the yeah. smoky court story. Speaking of best friends, this is definitely an interesting story that brings up a lot of questions. But before all those, the monster design in this one feels like the artist had just been playing Bayonetta or something. This is just a totally weird mm. thing that you would never see in the show. This wheel with an eye. Like, there's actually enemies in Bayonetta <laughs> that are just wheels, and they're like, this is a demon... <laughs> Or Angel, that's a wheel with an eye on it. It's very strange. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> it fits in with the yo-yo thing, though. Oh, yeah. Spinning like a yo-yo. Then Stephen with the stars in his eyes. <laughs> the art Classic. style, too, is so uh, mature. It sort of fits in with this weird spiked wheel thing. <laughs> it also supports the nature of the rest of the story, which feels a little... More mature than than normal, perhaps, especially since we're hanging out with yeah. Vidalia for most of it. So it's a little more like, yeah, Vidalia, the old lady. Yeah, she's not used to playing arcade games anymore, like back in the day. Yeah, she just don't have the reflexes. She's too old. Hmm. So I mean, what to say about? It? I mean, Amethyst has a really sad face when she defuses the first time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I missed that part, too. I guess Amethyst is weirdly the one who's more embarrassed about being called uh, Smoky Quartz when she's Smoky Quartz. 
than Steven, who's just excitedly telling Vidalia that it's him. Hi! Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, th- I think this, I think this, the whole conflict in this is, is mostly just, you know, Steven being Mr. Nice Guy and Amethyst being, like, super insecure. I mean, if we're gonna, if we're gonna lay blame. The, like, real-world analogy is obviously somewhere in the... I mean, there's different ways you could go with it, but, like, maybe one interpretation is, like, trans identity and sort of, at least in the world of naming. I got that immediately, and that's what I assume they were going for. And that's, like, a great thing that they've done before in the show, but it doesn't quite tie in because the weird part about fusions is that... They, it's always felt weird that they are their own independent identity separate from the constituents because, you know, Smokey's sort of like really uncomfortable with the idea that Vidalia not just calls them by the wrong name, but says that she's had experiences with Smokey that Smokey's like, no, you haven't. Whereas in reality, like half of Smokey has and could like have spoken up at any time and maybe helped clarify later, which happens later in the comic. but. I don't know. It's like it doesn't, you know, if you have if if you end up presenting as a different gender or going through a fully a full sex change or something like you still you wouldn't be like, hey, you know, like if my new name is is Claire and someone's like, hey, Claire, remember how we used to play in the arcade as a kid? I wouldn't be like internally. Oh, I don't know what you're talking about because Claire never played arcade games like. I don't know. That just doesn't sound right. So it's very unique to fusions, but it's one of those weird parts about fusions that doesn't make sense why both Amethyst and Steven would feel uncomfortable being with with Vidalia. I don't know. I don't know. I I think this is just like the you know, homeworld, you know, pink diamond arc that Steven had at the very end where the diamonds were insisting on calling him pink diamond, although that made him more and more uncomfortable. I think everyone was pretty in agreement that that was, again, about trans identity there. And again, it doesn't work perfectly. Like, Steven is literally a different person now. He literally has no idea what they're talking about. But, you know, the intent, I think, was still clear. And so I I think I get that intent from this, this story as well. But just bringing it down into the show's fiction, fusions are complicated. Like, as as Garnet says in Alone Together, they're not one person, but they're not two people either. So, I think Amethyst and Vidalia, or Vidalia and Smokey, are both half right. Like, Vidalia's half met Smokey before, but she's also half not met her. Yeah, weirdly, <laughs> weirdly, Steven Universe, this is a second comic already that almost deals with, like, a uh, pseudo-Christian idea, which is that somehow... There's like a Trinitarian effect with these fusions where it's like multiple beings, one being. Good luck with interpreting that at all. So fusions have always existed in that weird space. And I guess I just have to accept it much like Vidalia at the end, who gets over asking too many questions. And that's good because this is probably the happiest we've seen Smokey maybe ever. (laughs) So except when she when they get to fight. I do I do wonder why Smokey never started a wrestling career of, you know, her own. I mean, much like the entire wrestling career of Tiger Millionaire, 
maybe it happened <laughs> and we just never saw it. Yeah, it just all happened off screen. I'm not salty. You're salty. <laughs> sure, I'm the one who's salty. I'm the one who's obsessed with the wrestling league in the fictional Steven Universe universe. Okay. Yes, yes, you. You're the one. <laughs> so, did you, did you want to move on to winging it? Oh, oh, one more thing. They did the thing that I was afraid they were going to do to us in pool hopping. They did not show us the portrait. Very sad. Yeah, that's sort of like what you would think the ending... I mean, and we get the last panel is uh, just... Smokey hugging Vidalia, but you'd think it could be like the uh, opposite view where we see the painting. Maybe, maybe, maybe have it turned a little bit. Okay, it, it would be a little bit silly. Like, why would Smokey be turning it so the camera could see it when the camera's not there? I'll accept that. Just let us see it. That's all I'm asking. Yeah. We we kind of get to see the early sketches of it, and I, I guess we can just assume it looks like Smokey. So, I mean, it's okay. It's smoky. Yeah, I I don't know. And, you know, whose even fault can it be? Is it the writer's fault because they sort of explicitly outline what's going to be in the panels? You know, obviously that's not what's important in this story, though. No. It's one of those details that would have fit in with the show because there's just more time. But because these are such short comics, the real focus is on this reconnection of characters. Which, by the way, I've always loved yeah. Vidalia. And I always thought the Vidalia-Amethyst relationship was really interesting. So that's pretty cool that that has also managed to become a part of Steven. Uh, and now maybe Steven doesn't have to be so afraid of going over to Onion's house and hanging out in his room. So Yeah, just just as long as, you know, it's Smoky Quartz going over for a visit rather than Amethyst. <laughs> yeah. I guess now we're on to winging it. The, uh, the kind of Opal story, a little bit. Oh, easily my favorite comic. Just kidding, this is probably... The simplest story of the bunch, and it's completely fine, but that's kind of how I feel about it. I do really like the art style. I like I like that we're relying heavily on some blues, but the 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 pink bats. Just looking at that whole page, I like the coloration on that, but the story. It's just very simple. I love the winged centipedal. Again, I think all the monsters in each one of these fusion stories is really interesting. And the show never really took advantage of this type of thing. Like, we've seen variants on gems, but we didn't really see any variants on monsters outside of the corrupted jaspers. We kind of got an idea of what color variants they look like. But this is cool yeah. that this centipedal weirdly has wings. It would have been neat to see more of that uh, in the show. But now there's no more corruptions, so... Yeah. And all Amethyst ever wanted was a bit of Taco Tuesday with a big boy taco. And apparently Pearl knows what tamales are. <laughs> That's a thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, she does. She may not partake in it, but she still understands fine foods. <laughs> it's just funny how she pretend. Uh, I'm almost like, does she even... Does she purposely confuse it just to make a joke? Because I feel like it's harder to come up with Tamale Tuesday over Taco Tuesday. Maybe that's just me. I mean, she does have a pretty smug look on her face when she says that. <laughs> and I mean, it is the kind of rib that Pearl would give to Amethyst. So I'm going to rate that one as plausible. <laughs> also, Amethyst is really worried about the size of her of the big boy taco. But I don't know if it's going to beat the... I mean, pizza taco that she's made herself. 
I mean, she's just worried about false advertising. Like, she she has to know a lawyer. Does she have to sue if if they falsely advertise their taco as being a big boy? <laughs> yeah, I can see Amethyst getting pretty upset about that. Is this what the centipedal gems normally look like, though? No, the the nephrite gems are the they're they're more a rocky type. This is a this is a crystal exactly like a quartz. That I thought that was pretty strange. It just looks like a green quartz. Not sure where that one fits in. I mean, technically it is a winged centipedal, but I'm assuming, you know, of course, if you look at how the eyeball's drawn, the eyeball doesn't exactly look like a gem like our good old centipedal's eyeball. So that might be a thing. But then again, I can't really see where that gem is on this monster's body. I don't know. I'm, I'm going to I'm going to rate the likelihood of being canonical of the winged centipedal as low at least as shown here. I mean, it, it could be some bizarre green quartz that goes small, but I think there would be some change in it if it were to be elevated into canon. I mean, it's a forgivable mistake because even the show has committed the error of that one time when Garnet transported a gem away from the underground experiment area and it turned into, um, I actually think it turned into a centipedal gem. That's an animation error. That's different. Right. Well, that's the thing that makes the comic error less forgivable is that with that, it was a few frames that got recycled. Whereas in the comic, you have a lot of time to draw one frame and a lot of time to look at it afterwards. And there's not much recycling of assets. What's the likelihood that the illustrators is big a nerd for Steven Universe as we are? Let's be honest. I mean... Hopefully enough to know that the centipedal's eyeball is a gem and that the monster's gem would be visible. But that's just me. Yeah, like, I don't, uh, I don't know. Like I said, there there would have to be some changes made to the winged centipedal if they wanted to bring this one up into the show. But uh, now we get to the Sukalite one, an overdue conversation. I really liked this one. I mean, the title's completely apt. It was a thing that we couldn't address in the show basically because we couldn't pay that voice actor to return. Yeah, come on, Nikki, why you gotta be so expensive? You have fans to think about. We want you back, Nikki. Yeah, we needed to hear sort of why Amethyst and Garnet. You know, that part never really got addressed either. Like, fans were left to understand why Sugalite was as unstable as she was. And of course, the explanation makes sense that both of them just sort of become uninhibited, mostly due to, it seems kind of Amethyst's fault, but, you know, <laughs> Garnet just lets Amethyst guide her, and Amethyst feels more comfortable than ever, so she really lets it out. Yeah, I do like the, did you see the panel where, well, two panels technically, where Stephen can't get his sweater off and Garnet has to help? <laughs> yeah, I, I love that sweater, too. I also love It's just little... so sweet. <laughs> the little Coco picture too is cute. I just Oh like, yes, they spent an entire panel on the Coco and I loved it. I mean just little milk cartons that look like cows. And also it's like brown, like as if it's chocolate. You can't say Coco break any better than a panel dedicated to the Coco. I mean, you gotta have Coco before any real comfortable conversation, so. Now, I like how it looks like Pearl has a mug of Coco, but, you know, we know she's not going to drink it. 
I mean, so does Garnet, and she's probably not going to drink hers either. I mean, we have seen Pearl drinking in the show before. She could be a drinker if she wants, compared to food. Yeah. Although Coco uh, sort of is a is a fine border with those pink marshmallows in there. <laughs> yeah. Very fine line. So, I mean, this one is mostly just explanation, but I like it for that it's very, very plausible explanation. And I, I, I do like Pearl's paranoia about, like, okay, we are definitely going to have to fight Sugalite now. Honestly, I think Pearl gets off a little too easy in this comic for how critical she is of Sugalite. Like, there isn't much repercussion. Like, Garnet and Amethyst don't really kind of put her in her place or, or kind of make her realize she's being a little hypercritical. Like, it's she's a little critical to the point of being rude. Well, I mean, remember what happened last time. Yeah, but that was one time. That was a very big deal, though. Yeah, it kind of was. Pearl had to go full strong in the real way on her. Right, I mean, it made a whole song and dance number happen. But this comic, I- I'm confused when it shows the flashback to Sugalite. Where is that? Because it's in this weird space that I don't recall. Are you talking about the one where she's fighting them in what looks like a hybrid between the Steven's room and the Cloud Arena? Yeah, when we were talking about the Cloud Arena at the end of this first comic, I was like, thinking of this panel. It's like they're in the Sky Arena, but also there's a part of the bedroom. What on earth is that? I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's a flashback. I, I think this is, again, Pearl saying, this is this is what's going to have to happen. You're, you're going to have to back me up on this, Steven, because we're going to have to take her down. So it's just a purely hypothetical place for a purely hypothetical situation. It's a very strange hypothetical choice. I don't know. Whereas comparatively, the rest of the comic uses the a backdrop we totally understand, and it's kind of nice to flash back to, which is um, wherever this... I forget the name of where that Wailing Stone location was. It's just the north. Somewhere in the north. Somewhere where it's cold outside a lot. But uh, you, you said that Pearl doesn't get put in her place at all. I think Garnet puts, uh, puts her in her place there. This time... It means we'll see. Garnet being cautious, but let's make it happen. Yeah, I still think, uh, I don't know. Pearl <laughs> could always be put in her place more. Maybe that's mean. <laughs> I think that's mean. Maybe I'll rescind that. The only way you can put Pearl in her place is to get a box, label it, only best gem, sit in this box, and then pick her up and put her in it. <laughs> yeah, but Sukalite did fine in this. <laughs> it kind of makes me think about this. Post Diamond reconcil- Reconciliation era, where the gems are going to be sort of having to guide all these new gems into a more fusiony future, and so having all these fusions be a little more stable and understanding each other better in relationships within the crystal gems could be important. Well, I don't think it's a fusiony future in that they don't have to fuse if they don't want to; they just have the option now. Right. And I think a lot of them will explore that option. It may be helpful to have some crystal gem fusions help explain. Because they themselves have had those same struggles. I like how Garnet just squarely lays the blame for Sugalite on Amethyst's feet. (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) like I said, it's kind of just Amethyst's fault. It's like, Amethyst, it's 
It's kind of like you're the one taking control here. I mean, it's partially my fault for letting you, but like, seriously, just stop. That's it. Garnet just says, well, there's a feeling that Amethyst has, and I just kind of allowed that to break through. And it's like, cool. <laughs> I guess that's why Sugalite is pretty much just the same, but darker color palette of Amethyst. <laughs> it's like, what happens if you put Amethyst in the control seat of a giant wrecking ball? I, that's actually perfect. That's the perfect analogy. You find out what's good. Oh, well. Anything else? Overall, uh, it was a good set of comics. I think this is one of the... This is the same thing that they did for that Greg Universe special way back in the day, a few years ago. I like this style where we combine a few comics that would otherwise come out on a weekly basis. I don't usually like the comics that are like these when they just come out. I mean, there's a weekly or monthly series that's been coming out forever. Obviously, now it's on the large ones that we've been covering, but when when it's not something like the this Lars special, where they're just slice of life, but they're so short. I mean, that's kind of the fun of comics, but I prefer them to be here so that when out of a batch of five, there's one you don't really care about. You didn't have just a whole month to chew on that <laughs> one comic. You know, they, they said that this Fusion Frenzy thing was going to be a one-off thing, but I'm really hoping that they continue doing some new ones. And like, instead of what they did this time, where it's like, Five stories, each focusing on the fusions being fusions. I just I just want to see, you know, once a month for a while, some just a story featuring a fusion. Doing what fusions do. Well, as we've always said, just keep putting more fusions in comics because... That works too. That's the place where it works. They have fusion frenzy now, so they can, they can just tell fusion-centric stories. They don't have to do it every month, just if they get a good idea for it, make it happen. I mean, thinking back to the... Sadie comic, the Bake Off comic, that uh, the great, the cookie dough, dough down, great dough down. I'm almost at ultimate this title. dough down, yeah, ultimate dough down. <laughs> they they bring Sardonyx out because she's awesome, and that's the perfect spot for Sardonyx. Yeah, well, and that whole comic sort of shows how you can dig deeper into a character, like how Sadie was dealing with Lars being gone, and it elaborated over what the series was able to do. Like, we can push these fusions a lot farther. You know, we just get a little hint of that with, you know, Sugalite and Smoky Quartz here. It'd be really yeah. great to push those because really the show's only cared about Stevani as far as the development of any of the main fusions. Mm. I mean, heck, well, because like, think about Outside of, like, one episode, Sugalite doesn't get expanded upon, and Opal doesn't really get expanded upon, except that... Sadly. Pearl and Amethyst's relationship improves sort of a little bit in the background over the show, like, they become more willing to fuse. And then, obviously, Sardonyx gets the most, because there's a whole arc. Yeah, that was really good. But other than that, it's not really that... uh, There's not a lot of development over the course of the show, and then forget even how, (laughs) you know, Will... The entire <laughs> uh, gem, you know, well, the entire crystal gem fusion of 
um, Obsidian. Obsidian ever <laughs> work as a character? Or will they always just be an ultimate power move? Ultimate power move. And, uh, you know, Alexandrite's always been a mess. Alexandrite has... <laughs> you'd think that the Crystal Gems would be able to cooperate together as just the three of them eventually. Well, they did a really good job against Malachite. They kept it together. They even won once Steven distracted Malachite for a minute. Well, oh. I mean, he had a little help, but... I'm not saying they don't have their moments of stability. I mean, sometimes they don't move for eight seconds of, of animation time. It's incredible. But but as their, you know, overall personality, uh, they're, they're not very good at just living out their life in the same yeah. way that the other ones are. Just, just being. But I guess yeah. that's true of kind of all the Crystal Gem fusions, that they kind of exist for a limited purpose and not for a more extended period of time. So anyway, comic writers do it and elaborate and help us find out more. Yep. I just I just want to have I just want Nicki Minaj to record the line see you next time, Steven. That'd be nice. I think it would be really funny if she did come back and she just had a one-liner where like weirdly <laughs> the fusion was quiet for the whole episode and Steven couldn't <laughs> figure out why, but then there's one Nicki Minaj line. And it's like, "Oh, Sugalite." <laughs> Anyway, guys, that's been us on Fusion Frenzy number one. Hopefully, hopefully, maybe someday they re revive Fusion Frenzy and we'll get a number two. Fingers crossed. But until next week, I'm GC13. And I'm David. Don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Later, everybody. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.